Is God pleased with your faith? Dobré ráno, já jsem Anthony Brtík. Rozumíte česky? No, oh, promiň, jako, uh, my name is Tony. I, I will to share you my story. I am from Czech Republic. Um, I study woodworking, and early in my life, I never quite fit in. I was quite different. I never, not many people understood me. Not many people kind of under got me. And in Czech, that's quite interesting because we were taught that a good child is one that is seen, not seen and not heard. We're taught to blend in, to disappear, which is kind of a byproduct of communism because if you were different, that's an act of rebellion. And I remember one day at my school, there was an American who came to my school to do English lessons. His name was Steve. And we sat down and we had a wonderful conversation talking about woodworking because that's what my studies were, to become a master craftsman in woodworking. And we, he was really different. I've never met anybody like him. And it's interesting for me because he was American and he came to my country. Most people don't come to my country. And I was sitting down and having my lunch and Steve came into the cafeteria and I asked him to sit down because I had one question for Steve. Why are you so happy? And Steve began to share with me the gospel. He began to tell Jesus who he was and what he's like. And it was interesting because I've always felt like a foreigner in my own country. And God brought a foreigner, to who, someone who could relate to me because I always felt like a foreigner. And it began to take me on this journey of faith and I ended up coming into faith into Jesus. And then he introduced me to another friend named Evan. Because for me, this is really interesting because most people in Czech do not want to pursue God. Most people in Czech consider themselves atheists. And for somebody to come all the way to my nation to tell me about God, and I came into faith with God, and I learned to be discipled, and I just got filled with his spirit. You see, there is a harvest. Bonjour, je m'appelle Julie, à l'université. My name is Julie, and I study at the University of Louvain-la-Neuve in Belgium. I study law, and one day my boyfriend Richard, he invited me to have dinner with a friend, a classmate of his who came from Texas. So Richard and I, we went to the house of the couple from Texas, we had some dinner. Soon after, the wife, she invited me to come to her small group with other girls to study the Bible. For me, this is very odd, this is very bizarre. I'm in university, I have no really interest. Nobody's trying to learn about God. But okay, I grew up in Catholicism, so I thought I would meet the exotic friends and see what happens. <laughs> I soon learned that these girls were very genuine with me. They taught me, they loved me, and they listened to me. When my mom was dying of cancer, they prayed with me for her healing, They also prayed with me for the unkind words she spoke as she was dying. She said to me, Julie, you are a disappointment. My life would have been better without you. I should have aborted you. And as hurtful as this was, the girls in my small group, they said to me, they taught to me, Jeremiah 29:11, where it says, I know the plans I have for you. Peaceful plans, not of evil, but of hope and a future. And soon I saw these words in my life so real. One time, my professor, he proposed to me an unethical encounter if I wanted to pass my exams. He said, this is what you must do if you want to be certain to not have to repeat your whole year of law. 
So it's a big decision for me. I, this is not what Jesus taught. It's unethical. So I asked my small group friends to pray with me. And God showed me a miracle when I came to my professor and he had been fired. He was terminated from his job because other women came forward. And God showed me that he knew the plans he had for me that were good and he had a future for me, truly. I will share with you one last thing that I wrote in the Bible before the couple returned to Texas. I wrote to them that your arrival in my life is the proof that God exists and he has not forgotten me. Because people decided to leave their country and come to mine in Belgium, I know that God exists and he has not forgotten me. Good morning, Gateway family. Um, I am Steve, that's my wife, Jennifer. Um, we are your international campus pastors in Arabia, uh, the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, we've been serving, though, for the past 15 years in, in Europe before this new endeavor we're going on. Um, Europe is a beautiful place. It's steeped in religious history. But today it is challenged by secularism, where people basically, religious thought or things are not in the public. Um, most people just don't think about God or care about God, and it's a very difficult place to see harvest, um, challenging place to see harvest. And so, as I get into our message, we're gonna be talking about the Lord of the harvest and how God, how God sees harvest. And maybe that might help change our thinking when it comes to about our role and our part in the harvest. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you, God, that you show us who God is and what he's really like. Help us to see what you see. Help us to see the harvest. Help us to see what our role and our part that you're inviting us to be a part of. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember before leaving to go on my first trip, mission trip to Europe, this was about 21 years ago. Um, I was still a student at, in uh, Sam Houston State and a mentor of mine, he said this and I never forgot it to this day. He goes, when you go, let this be, as you pray and as you walk the city's streets in Europe, he says this to me. He said, let your eyes affect your heart. And he wasn't meaning just by looking at the buildings and all of that, but really see. And so when I go places, I try to do that. I said, Lord, let what I see affect my heart. And here is a scripture very similar to that idea in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, if you have your Bibles. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into 
his harvest. This phrase, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. This figure speech occurs three times in the Gospel of John, Gospel of Luke, and Gospel of Matthew. In John's Gospel, Jesus uses this term while in Samaria. He, this is what he says. He goes um, in verse 35, do you not say that there are still four more months and then the harvest comes? But I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And then there he goes on to say the harvest is plentiful. But see, about, which is interesting about Samaria is that it's a terribly rocky, hard place. And even on top of that, the Sumerians are a dark, morally, and ignorant people. Like not really wanting to know God, not really pursuing God, and much work has to be done before you can actually see a harvest. That's what the disciples' assessment was. They're like, oh Lord, not yet. There's still this and that. There's still four more months. But Jesus is sitting there declaring in this area that's not easy, difficult, challenging, and he goes, I see harvest. How many of you in that kind of situation? Do you see harvest in some of the difficult seasons in your life? Difficult places where maybe God has placed you. And then in Luke's gospel, Jesus uses the same phrase when he's sending out the 70. That the harvest is plentiful, but the lurkers are few, which I find interesting. He's sending 70 people out, and he still says this statement. And then if you go into verse 8 in Luke 10, he says, go to whoever will receive you. Which basically what he's saying there is, go to those most people bypass, the disenfranchised, disenfranchised or the neglected, the ones that we pass by, the ones people that are often ignored. Often that's how a lot of Czechs felt in our time of of 10 years of being in Czech Republic. That's how our friend Julie felt. I guarantee you there's people in our lives that feel that way. They're neglected, ignored, passed by, and we've probably done it ourselves. But our God's heart is for those people. And as in Matthew 9 that we've already read, this is what Jesus saw. As he, I mean, think about it. Miracles are happening, people are getting healed, but this is, that's not what he was looking at. He saw people distressed, scattered, harassed by wolves, fainting, tired, and dying. And then he says, that's the harvest. You see, his eyes, what he saw affected his heart. He saw the multitudes of people and he was moved with compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd, aimless, purposeless, having no direction. And that's tiresome and weary, trying to figure out life and not having a direction. 
And that word compassion here in, 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 this is, in the Greek is, is something with not just like mere pity. It's something deeper than that. It's basically this idea of down within the, the depths of his gut. He was so felt the agony and the pain in which people were going through. He's like, they are lost. They are helpless, they are wounded, they are battered, they are, because of sin, selfishness, he could feel it. And it's like this idea of where you get, you ever been really like angry about something and it was like coming up from here or you really, really cared about something and it was deep within you? This is what this is, what that word from, comes from in the Greek. It wasn't just mere sentiment. That's the picture of our God. How he feels about this world, how he feels about people. He saw the physical agony because of the spiritual pain people are in. He identified himself with the pain. This is who our God is. The issue of sin, he met it, sorrow. And at one moment, between this king and upon those he looked upon, we have the cross. And it meets that outward expression of what that compassion, that being moved and what he saw, it, it, the expression of that was the cross. Isn't that incredible? That's how he feels about the harvest. That's how he feels about lost people. And that's why the scriptures say that he's the great high priest. That he knows our infirmities, he knows our weaknesses. He's been tempted in all ways that we have been tempted in. He understands the physical limitations that we go through, being tired, being weary. He knows all of those things and that's why he, we can come to him and he can identify with us. That's our God. But you look in all three of these situations, the first country, the hated country. The second was the neglected field or the neglected country. The third was held in contempt. But the Lord in all three of these instances declares there is a harvest. The, the challenging places, the difficult places, the places that we don't want to go. And he's sitting there saying, I see harvest. I see harvest there. And what that reveals to us is not one place is more difficult than another. I have learned this, that there is no ideal place to do ministry. It doesn't exist. Every place is a challenge and difficulty and thank God for that. You know Why? You actually got to rely on him. God forbid we have to rely on him. And so what it teaches us is that where we see deterioration, where we see desolation, where we see darkness in all forms of false religion, you know what we can say? You know what our God says? I see harvest. I see harvest. Just like the stories we heard this morning of Tony and Julie. 
Could you be imagined being told by your own mother, my life would have been so much happier if you didn't exist? And she's dying of cancer when she tells you this? That my life, I should have aborted you? Or to be like Tony where I'm like, he feels all alone because no one knows how to, no one understands him. That one day you and I could be proof to somebody else that God exists and he hasn't forgotten them. And God is speaking, and when he speaks, he's telling us the truth about things, right? So when he describes things and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and I'm going, why? We just sang all morning, celebrated baptisms. If he really is this great and wonderful, then why are there so few workers? Why? Why is this the case? We sing songs about the goodness of God. We sing songs about the faithfulness of God. We sing about how God is our healer, the love of God, being forgiven, being restored, the salvation of God. We have no problem doing that. We talk about being in his presence, and it's all about me for that one moment. And how often or how little do we think of that, of people that we know, people that are in our sphere of influence, C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, The Weight of Glory, and he talks about it that it's too easy for us to get caught up in our own potential glory, of being with Jesus, being in heaven. And he goes, too rarely do we think about that of that of our neighbor. He goes, the weight or the burden of my neighbor's glory is so, it's a beautiful thing that it will break the backs of the proud, and it's only the humble that can carry this burden. The idea of who somebody could become. He goes on to say that they could be something so incredible, so beautiful. Even though right now you meet this person, they are dull, uninteresting. They have nothing on the outward that's like going, oh, this is going to be a great conversation. Those people that, you've, that often society ignores, who passes by them, and he's saying they will become something so beautiful, so incredible, you would actually be tempted to worship or become something so hideous, so disgusting, as you meet right now in this moment, you would wish it was only a nightmare. And he goes, it's in the overwhelming possible, of these two possibilities, people can become everlasting splendors or eternal horrors. That's the weight of glory. And so oftentimes, when I get in God's presence, I begin to think about others who are missing out, who don't know that, what we just experienced already this morning. That's the heart of the harvest. Who people can become in Christ. And when we realize how great God is, that's where personal service comes out of. 
of knowing how good he is and what the mercy and grace that he has shown to us on the cross. And then when we look to the fields that are out there, and they're big, there are so many places that are desperate in need of workers, and it ought to move us because of how good he is and what he has shown us on the cross, it ought to move us and say, God, we need more workers for the fields. And I remember that experience for me 21 years ago and when I was a college student in Belgium on a mission trip and there was a missionary on the floor with the, the map of Europe at this time and at the time there was hardly anything going on university campuses in Europe. In two countries, that's it. And he was praying for the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers there and God in my heart was sitting there saying, I want you to go help this man. We need more workers, not more volunteers. We need people who will go work the fields that God has already given you. Jesus implies that he is the Lord of the harvest and by sending them out immediately. Chapter nine concludes, chapter 10 begins by being sent out. That's the answer to the prayer. Are we prepared to pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers? Are you prepared to do that this morning? The question is more important than that. Are you prepared to be the answer to that prayer? Are you prepared to be sent to a field and work it and be faithful to that field? You and I are God's plan A for reaching this world. Jesus is inviting you in this statement to come alongside him and work with him in bringing in the harvest. The one who calls you friend. Think about that. The one who calls us friend is inviting us to come work with him in the fields. He says this in John 15, verses 14 and 15. He says, you are my friends, for you do whatever I command. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all the things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. friend. Because I'll tell you this, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to have greater understanding of God, if you want to have a greater sense of, revela- a greater sense of revelation, there's only one really way to do it. Do you know what the fertilizer is for spiritual growth? Responsibility. And our society today is very, has very little of that. If you want to grow spiritually, then it's responsibility. Just like we see in the Bible, Enoch had a kid and he walked with God. <laughs> Jesus, after restoring Peter, what did he say? Feed my sheep. Responsibility. Paul, could you imagine the revelation that Paul was given, but he understood the responsibility of it and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? You see, biblical revelation, biblical understanding is never non-committal. It's not free of responsibility or free of consequence. Biblical understanding equals 
responsibility. That when you have been given something, any work of grace that you have received from God, any work of mercy from God, any understanding or light that God has given you, I got news for you. You're responsible to it. You're responsible with that. The question is, are you being responsible? C.T. Studd said this, missionary, and if you want to read a great biography, go read that one. He says, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. S.D. Gordon said this, if you know him, you must go. You must serve. You must do. You can't help it. You want to do it. If you know him, you want to go. You want to serve. It's not a have to. It's a want to. You see, he is the motive of power, and he is the message to carry, Jesus S.D. Gordon. We've all been entrusted with something, this gospel. God's salvation through Jesus Christ. And the church exists today because it has a mission. The mission doesn't exist because of the church. The church exists because we've been given a mission, the harvest, to work the fields. I have one question. What field has the Lord given you and I? My second question to that is are we being faithful to that field? Are we being faithful to the one who doesn't call us servants but calls us friends? Do we care about the heart of the one who calls us friends? And his heart is for the harvest. His heart is pointed to those fields the neglected, the beaten down, the hopeless. And he says, I see harvest. Do we see harvest? Maybe if more of us would see harvest and understand that's his heart, maybe we'd see more workers. Maybe we'd be more faithful to the field that God has given us. Will we let our eyes affect our heart? You see in Acts 1.8 where Jesus says you will receive power from the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you should be my witnesses in in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria and to the end of the earth. We can look at these four areas in our own personal lives. The field of Jerusalem. That's everyday living. Those whom you live with. Those who you're in close contact with. Are you being faithful to that field? that God has given you? Speaking to you dads and husbands in here this morning on this, are you being faithful to the field that is your family? Are you leading your family in the things of God? Are you working that field? Are you seeing harvest there? Do you see the harvest there with your wife and your kids? The field of Judea This is the field of your influence. Maybe you're in small group. 
or are in your small groups. Maybe it's people you work with, go to school with, your neighbors. Are you being faithful in that field? Maybe God's calling you and saying, hey, you're doing great at home, but what about these? What about these? Because it should start at the home, but it doesn't end at the home. It should flow out out into the areas around your home. Then there's the field of Samaria, the hard places, the places that make us uncomfortable. People that are different than us, who think differently than us. And God is saying, what about that field? Will some of you go into that field? Maybe God's saying to you this morning, hey, there's these church plants going on. Why don't you go be a part of it? Maybe go to this other area that's different and it makes you uncomfortable. It's not a bad place to be. And if that's you and God's speaking, would you find someone after service to tell them? And lastly, the field of the ends of the earth. You can't do this one if you're not doing the first three. And going to the ends of the earth, but we all can be a part of that. And maybe God's saying, grab a missionary card, be praying for missionaries. Maybe start supporting missionaries. Or maybe God's calling you to go be a missionary but we all have a part to play on that one. But it does start in Jerusalem, it ought to go into Judea, it ought to go into Samaria, and it ought to go to the ends of the earth because of how worthy our king is. And if you're interested on missions, there's a missions night at GSM on July 26th at 6.30. Come check it out. So would you stand? How are we to be faithful in bringing in the harvest? How are we to be faithful in bringing in this harvest? Because Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I believe it starts right here in this place of accepting responsibility where God has placed you. And what I mean by accepting responsibility where God has placed you, will you take spiritual responsibility by praying for that field that God has placed you in? Because it says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and I've added one little thing in here, it says, if my people who are called by my name take responsibility by humbling themselves and praying and seeking my face and turning from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. It starts by taking responsibility. And if God has done anything real in your life, then it ought to make us pray for others. And that's where step two comes in, the cross. We can never forget, we can never forget the cross. We can never forget what it costs God to see those baptisms. 
we can never forget what it cost him. So that can happen. We can never forget what it cost him to be called his friend. We can never forget that. And if we have experienced that friendship of God, that is the greatest motivation of going to work the field that he's given us. It is the motivation that gives us the compassion to love on the people who are neglected and difficult to deal with. Thirdly, we need power to do this. We need power from the Holy Spirit and Jesus prepares us to be his witnesses by sending us the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. And so that, and he even goes on to say, because you will do greater things than I because I go to my Father, therefore the Comforter can come. And if you need power, then find some friends here today and say, I need the Spirit of God, power on high, to work my field that God's given me. Then, and if you need power, then find some friends here today and say, I need the Spirit of God, power on high, to work my field that God's given me. Then we'll be faithful to bring in that harvest in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. So Jesus, right now, speak that we would ask you, Lord, right now this morning, Am I being faithful to the field that you've placed me in? Lord, help me to see the harvest, God. Help me to see the fields and to begin to realize how wonderful you are and how good you are that I would go work the field that you've placed me in. To see more people be baptized, to experience your goodness, to experience the forgiveness, to know that God exists and he hasn't forgotten them, that there is somebody out there that, Lord, that you want us to lead to back to you. Give us your heart for the lost, for the harvest, and help us to see that even in the most difficult places, the most trying places, you see harvest. And forgive us, God, of our lack of faith for not seeing the harvest. Help us to take responsibility in Jesus' name, amen.